Welcome to the Seeing Red Podcast. That's right, that's right. It is another edition here of the Seeing Red Podcast. My name is Troy Moriello and I am your host bringing you up to date and up to speed on all things St. John's basketball. And it's it's a little over 48 hours now. It's about 51 hours on the dot uh, at the time of this recording since the last Red Storm game. And I don't think that time has healed all wounds, at least for me and probably for most of the fan base, which is feeling a little bit down right now, uh, you could say the least, after a crushing 73-72 loss to the Hoyas of Georgetown on Sunday at Madison Square Garden. And on the outset, that doesn't look terrible. Close loss to Georgetown. These are two teams at the bottom of the conference, whatever. But when you get into it, obviously, that's that's where the heartbreak starts for the Red Storm. And I, I did a periscope on this right after the game, conveyed my immediate thoughts on the game. I was a little bit more fired up than I am now. I am a little bit more reserved now, I think, uh, and can hopefully look at this you know, with a, with a more reserved eye. But it's still hard to swallow for St. John's. You know, I came into this game against Georgetown looking at this and saying this this could be a win. You know, St. John's was favored. Uh, I came in being not expecting a win, but but feeling rather pretty confident that they can get the job done. And then that morning, uh, I get out of church and I walk and I get a notification on my phone that Mac McClung's not playing. And at that point, I said, all right, this needs to be a win now because Mac McClung is, is Georgetown's best player. He's out. I think he had a leg, some issue with the leg. I think he's not going to play against Seton Hall either. And I said, this this now needs to be a win. You know, now it's not, I would like this to be a win. This, this needs to be a win for this team. And as the game got going, I felt, you know, rather rather confident throughout the first half as as St. John's kind of started to find its footing. Play played very well offensively in the first half, scored 38 points, uh, took a nine point lead into the half, and from there I said, okay, you know, th- this 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 game we kind of know where it's going to go. The lead went up all the way to 17, 50 to 33, uh, early in the second half, and from that point it, it felt like we knew where this was going to go. You know, it seemed like we kind of felt like St. John's. I saw someone tweet, this is going to be the most, you know, business-like win for St. John's of the season. You know, and possibly their only business-like win in Big East play. You know, a Georgetown team already missing two of its better players in Josh LeBlanc and James Akinjo that are no longer with the program, already missing those two guys. Now is without Mac McClung as well, their best player on their roster right now. So it felt like this was going to be kind of the one win for St. John's in Big East play where you maybe didn't have to sweat. You know, kind of like Georgetown's win over St. John's uh, in their home building where it was, you know, a rather easy win for the Hoyas. This one felt like it was going to be, you know, 15, 20 points St. John's win. Easy win, move on to the next one, uh, be 3-7 and seven in the conference. But obviously that was not what happened. St. John's blew that 17-point lead rather quickly. It was it was right back down to 12 within a minute or so. And then Georgetown, you know, chipped, chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, and eventually ends up winning uh, at the buzzer. After the game, I was I was very critical of Mike Anderson. You know, if you watch that periscope that I did, that was really where I focused mo- most of my criticism. And I'll give Mike Anderson credit. Two days later, he owned up to it. He said, you know, that was not a good day for him. I think he even said that loss is on him. 
And, you know, you, you can't just pin the loss on the coach, but I think that that was by far Mike Anderson's worst performance as head coach of St. John's, for sure, this season. And this loss is easily the worst of the season as well. You know, you look at the other losses this season, no loss comes close to this one. This was a Chris Mullen era type loss for St. John's. And any time that you're being compared to Chris Mullen as a coach for St. John's is not a good thing. And this was a loss that felt like it would have come in the Mullen era, either last year or the year before. You know, felt like a loss in one of those type of seasons. And maybe we're headed towards one of those type of seasons now. But but that's what it felt like in this game. And But Mike Anderson owned up to it. You know, Mike Anderson's first decision of the day was actually a pretty good one. In benching Mustafa Heron to start this game, he brings Heron off the bench. Heron still plays 24 minutes, didn't really play a great game, scored 16 points but needed 15 shots to get there, and shot 4 of 11 from three-point range. So didn't have a great game, but started off well, Heron did. And right away, it looked like it was the right call for uh, for uh, Mustafa Heron to be coming off the bench. So credit to Heron for taking that assignment, and credit for to Anderson for doing it, for, for having the guts to put his senior leader on the bench to start the game and to go with a little bit of a different starting lineup with Julian Champagne in the starting lineup and Greg Williams in the starting lineup, who I think Greg Williams should see more and more playing time now as the season goes along. But credit to him for that, because that, that was a tough call to make, and he made it, and it was I think it turned out okay. I think Heron responded well, and I think that the team responded well. You saw they took a nine-point lead into the half. So his first decision of the day was well, was good. The decision to stop pressing in the second half, and it seems like this is something that they keep doing over and over again, where they, they continually are, are, are letting up on the press. St. John's was forcing turnovers in the first half, was doing a good job, you know, getting Georgetown out of their rhythm in the first half and only allowing uh, 29 points in that first half. And then it felt like it stopped. You know, once Georgetown made that run, it felt like the pressing stopped and and everything just kind of the game kind of slowed down for Georgetown where they wanted to play it. And then obviously they sped the game up on the other end. On the defensive end, Georgetown sped up St. John's, but it just felt like the pressing stopped. And I don't get why that was the case. But the most glaring issue with Mike Anderson's coaching in this game was Josh Roberts playing 11 minutes in this game. Marcellus Erlington got 17 minutes, but Josh Roberts playing 11 minutes when Georgetown's only capable player on the defensive, on the offensive end, sorry, was Omer Yurtseven, the seven-footer. Why was St. John's continually going to a small lineup without Roberts on the floor? Roberts is the only guy on the team, really, that gets you know a good amount of playing time that was capable of guarding Yurt Seven. And down the stretch, when Georgetown was making that comeback, Roberts was nowhere to be found. And I don't get that at all. I don't get why even Damian Sears or Ian Steer were not seen in this game. Those are two guys. We've said it over and over and over again with those two guys especially. Those are just big bodies that can get in the way. We know that neither one of them is very talented on the offensive end, at least. Especially Sears. And we haven't seen it from Steer yet. But on the defensive end, get in the way. You know, commit a couple of fouls, but but get him out of his rhythm. You're at seven, I'm saying. The guy had 13 points and 15 rebounds. He was doing whatever he wanted all night long. And he had the game-winning shot, obviously. And that's another thing. The game-winning play for Georgetown. Mike Anderson goes with a, a tiny lineup. He had Roberts out of the game. He had Heron in. He had Champagny, Figueroa, Williams, and Dunn, I believe, was, was the five on the floor there. Who was guarding your seven in that in that situation? Why were they going small when everyone in the arena 
when everyone watching at home, when the announcers knew that ball was going to Omer Yurt 7. And yet Mike Anderson had no one on the floor that could guard the one guy who the ball was going to go to there. Who else was taking that shot for Georgetown? You knew it was getting to your seven. It was going to be in his hands. And then he was either going to kick it out to an open shooter or he was going to go to the basket. And that's exactly what happened. So I don't understand that aspect of Mike Anderson. Those are my two biggest issues with Anderson, really, was was they stopped pressing and was obviously the, 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 the rotations and the not playing Josh Roberts or not even giving Damian Sears or Ian Steer a, a shot to guard this guy who was killing them all night long. But some of the blame falls on the players as well. You know, these guys, I said it in my Periscope postgame, these guys are guys who you would assume that they see the press every single day in practice. This 40 minutes of hell system that St. John's runs, which is a press-heavy system. You would think that St. John's would be better equipped to deal with the press. Yet how many times were they out of sync or did they not know what to do? Or how many unforced errors did they have in that second half when Georgetown was making their run? St. John's turned the ball over 12 times in the second half after none in the first half. So that's on the players. What else is on the players? Pressing. I think it was Dunn and Williams maybe pressing on the final play of the game for Georgetown. Well, actually, let's go back for a second, too. Let's go back for a second, too, to how St. John's played these final five minutes of the game. To me, it felt like St. John's, at least in the last two or three minutes and then into the final minute as well, played that like they were up five or six points. How many times Mustafa Heron passed up an open uh, three on the wing? which he probably would have missed anyways because he shot 4 of 11 from three-point range. And he's missed a lot of open shots this year, but he passed up that shot. Rasheem Dunn drove to the basket a couple possessions later and pulled the ball back out. St. John's was up by one a lot in this game and pulling the ball back out like they were trying to run the clock and like they were up by five and were trying to run clock, which made no sense whatsoever. And I think that's more on the players than on the coaching, to be honest. You've got to know your situations better. And then obviously the, the, the most egregious one, was Rasheem Dunn in the final minute of this game. In my opinion, trying to play a little bit of hero ball, but just not making a smart basketball play there. Dunn scored 16 points in this game, but his worst play, aside from the final play of the game, was this, was the second-to-last offensive series for St. John's. Was holding the ball at the top of the key for 25 seconds, and then with five seconds left in the shot clock going, now let me attack. And then he didn't even get a shot, shot off. It was a shot clock violation. They could not even get a shot off there. What was going through Rasheem's Dunn's head, Rasheem Dunn's head there? What was going through the rest of the offense's head there to say, hey guys, we're only up one here. We need a basket. They were playing that like they were up five. I don't understand what they thought running the shot clock down there was going to do. Because they ran it down. They ran it all the way down to 30. And Georgetown still had 20 seconds left. If there's 35 seconds left in that game, and you say, we want to run this shot clock all the way down, okay, that's fine if you're up one. Leave them with five seconds left. You left them with 20 seconds. That did nothing. All that did was give Georgetown a chance to win the game, which it did. And then obviously the pressing on the final play as well. I don't understand that. If you're going to press there, if you're going to trap in the corner like they like they did, you need to be 100% certain that you're either forcing a turnover or that you're getting a, the, the ball is going out of bounds and you can reset. You cannot let that ball under any circumstances get out of the corner once you've trapped like that. And they did, and it leads to a layup. We've seen that so many times at St. John's where they press, the press gets broken, and it's basically a fast break. It was a four-on-three fast break for the other team. 
and Georgetown could have kicked that out for a three if they wanted to, but Yurt7 went right to the basket and scored. If you're going to press there, you got to know that this ball is not getting out of the corner. By any means necessary, this ball is not getting out of the corner. And they pressed, and they gave up a layup on the other end, which, which was the easiest thing in the world for Georgetown. And then, obviously, the final possession. Listen, I'm not going to kill them for that. I don't know where it was going. You know, I think Anderson said Dunn was not the target on that final possession, so I'm not going to kill them for that. Can't dribble the ball off your legs, though. You got you got you to at least control the ball and get a shot there. To not even get a shot there is terrible, but it, it ends what was really just a terrible, terrible, terrible final 15 minutes of this game for St. John's and a loss now that you wonder what this does to their psyche and you wonder what this does for the rest of the season. You know, we as fans are probably dying now to get another game, to get that the taste of that game out of our mouths and out of our heads. But for the Red Storm, it's maybe a good thing now to have five days off before they take on Creighton uh, on the road on Saturday. Probably going to lose that game regardless. Creighton is, is a matchup nightmare for St. John's with the way that they shoot the ball, much like Villanova. But at the end of the day, it might be good for St. John's to just get a couple of days off you know, to not be playing a game uh, Tuesday night or Wednesday night. To have a couple of days off to kind of reconvene here and figure out what you want out of the rest of the season. And we're going to find out a lot about the coaching job of Mike Anderson now. Because like I said, I tweeted this out yesterday. There's, there's no reason to reevaluate what you think of Mike Anderson because of this one game. He had a very bad game and he owned up to it. But there's no reason to kill this guy for having one bad game or to change your tone on this guy for one bad game. But now we'll see. Because remember, we saw this under the Chris Mullen era. And I hate, I, I always go back to the Chris Mullen era just because it's maybe it's recency or whatever. Mullen's first year, one, one in 17 in the Big East. Mullen's, what was it, second year? Or Mullen's third year, sorry. 11-game losing streak. Those teams didn't have the medal. And I think that says a lot about Chris Mullen as a head coach, that those losses continue to pile up and pile up and pile up. And eventually the team just says, it's not going to happen. And you turn into that 11-game losing streak. So is St. John's going to finish this season on a 10-game losing streak? Or are they going to rebound from this now? You know, I don't expect them to be Creighton. I don't expect them to be Villanova. I don't expect them to be Butler. I don't expect them to be Seton Hall. But can they win a game against Providence? Can they win a home game against Xavier? Can they win a home game against Marquette? You know, can they compete in these home games is going to be the question going forward now. You know, can they get to five wins in the Big East? Can they get to five and 13? And I think it's doable still. I really do. They really need this one to be a hell of a lot easier to get to five if you were at three right now instead of two. And you only needed two wins, and you had still Providence at home coming up. And, it, and an Xavier team that I think is beatable at home at least, if you had those games coming up, be a lot easier to get to five. But still, we're going to learn a lot about this team now. We're going to learn a lot about Mike Anderson's coaching right now. And I think Mike Anderson does, that, does a very good job of that, of getting his players up, of getting his players to buy in. So we'll see. We will see now if Mike Anderson can do that here. Can Mike Anderson save that 500 record of his that he's been going on for his entire coaching career? He's going to need to. He's going to need to figure it out here. And he's going to need to inspire these guys and to get these guys and get a hold of these guys and get them going and get them get them to almost rebuy in now. You know, because they bought in at the start of the year. But what is there to believe in now if you're a St. John's player? 
and you're now 2-8 and eight in the conference. What is there to believe in when you haven't beat a team not named DePaul? Can Mike Anderson get them to believe? Can he get them to buy in again? Can he get them to, as the cliche says, trust the process? Can they trust the process going forward now? That's my question. And that's all. I think that's that's a valid question. I think that we're going to find that out now. You know, I don't expect them to be Creighton. I said that two times already. I don't expect them to be Creighton. But can they compete in that game? And can they beat some teams that you think that they should beat at home? That's the question for the for the final couple minutes or for the final couple of games of this season now. And can you get into the NIT? I think is the is the main goal at hand. But it's it's a it's a terrible terrible loss. Obviously, it's it's one of the worst that we've seen in some time. And we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot now about about Mike Anderson as a head coach in the next couple of weeks. But those are my thoughts. Uh, that's enough of me now. We're gonna bring on someone who who actually personally requested to uh, to be on this episode. Jay DeMeo. He came on uh, about two months ago, I want to say, and uh, we'll have him on. And uh, he, he was fired up after the game, so I'm looking forward to this interview. So I hope everyone enjoys this talk with Jay DeMeo, and I'll be back on the other end to wrap it up. All right, I'm now joined by friend of the program, Jay DeMeo. He's come on once before. Uh, unfortunately, when he came on the last time, I think it was it was almost exactly two months ago. It was at the beginning of December, and uh, things were looking a little bit brighter for St. John's then than they do now. But uh, but Jay personally requested to come on to this show, and uh, he was he was hot after that loss, as many of us were, and uh, he had some 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 thoughts. So Jay, have you have you cooled off at all? Uh, two days later now, after the loss. Uh yeah, I have cooled off. It's uh, if it's not St. John's giving me problems, it's the Mets. So um, <laughs> I get over one thing, and then something else has to rile me up. But um, thank God baseball didn't start yet, so I'm still just. The main focus is on St. John's right now. <laughs> yeah, the 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 mess for the Mets isn't isn't in full swing yet. You know, you're kind of used to it. I guess you're kind of nope. used to it with St. John's though, too. You know. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But um, at the end of the day, I still see the uh, the light being a little brighter at the end of the tunnel. At least there's some stability there. You know, in terms of what's at the helm and front office terms and stuff. But yeah. um, still, at the end of the day, I'm not happy. So here we go. <laughs> nah, who could blame you, man? But uh, you, your your overall thoughts on the on the loss for St. John's? I mean, I mean, who do you put the blame on? For, for you at least who do you put the blame on more is it is it Mike Anderson is it the players like like where does the blame fall for you after this terrible loss um it's pretty even keel you know it's 50-50 but this has really been the first kind of uh eyebrow razor we've had with new coach Mike Anderson so yeah. far and mm-hmm. he's taken over with um there's a number of questionable things he did there, but at the same time, you can't just put it all on the coach. At the end of the day, the players are the ones on the court. They're the ones that have to execute. They're up 17 points with, you know, five minutes into the second half, you know, and you can't, you can't blow that lead, and you have, you know, Georgetown's best player sitting the whole game. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know, just from... The lack of execution with the offensive plays in the final stretch of the game, you know, just just dribbling the ball, holding <laughs> the ball till the last couple of seconds of the 
of the shot clock, you know, just very lackluster. And, you know, they were playing not to lose and not trying yeah. to win, it uh-huh. seemed. And, um, and then you have the, the eyebrow raisers, why, you know, the hot topic on the hashtag is why isn't Josh Roberts playing? Yep. The main reason we lost is because their big man killed us. So our big man's sitting on the bench and we can't neutralize it. So um, a lot of eyebrow raisers. And, um, you know, I know there's been a lot of hot takes with people already, you know, calling for Mike Anderson's head. And I get it. I get the frustration. But we can't. At the end of the day, we can't, you know, jump to conclusions after what seemingly most likely is a loss that wouldn't end up mattering anyway. But that's yeah, true. That, the, the frustration is definitely warranted. Yeah, no, and that's absolutely true what you just said. This at, at the end of the day, this loss really probably won't kill them in any way. They weren't going into the tournament anyway. It'll probably be the difference between winning, you know, four Big East games and five or three Big East games and four. So it doesn't kill them. In my opinion, though... You know, as you said, Mike Anderson didn't blow a 17-point lead in this game. The players did. You know, Mike Anderson made some some tough calls, and he certainly made it tougher on his players. But I don't think that Mike Anderson himself is the reason that they lost this game. As you said, at some point, the players just have to execute, you know? And, you know, you look at Rasheen Dunn, you know, he definitely, the stat line was okay with him yeah. but at the end of the day you know the ball is in his hands the last final stretch and this isn't the first time he's had a hiccup in these yes. you know uh-huh. clutch spots you know as soon as um, first of all I, the theme of the season has been we can't keep a lead in. Yep. it was after the timeout when they came out of the timeout up 17 I looked at my friend I was three rows from court <laughs> yeah. in the student session the other day and I looked at him and I said you know I was with one of my friends who doesn't always go to games and she says wow we have a 17 point lead and I said you know this could be gone in the blink of an eye and then after the next time out it went down to 12 yep. we know how the story went but yeah going back to the main thought you know the half is on the coach half is on the players and Rasheen Dunn you know he's not a freshman he's not you know, yeah. he's a, a rookie junior. out here he's a junior now and at some point he's one of the floor leaders and he's got to execute you know he can't be having you know such simple mistakes and every time he gets the ball in these crucial game situation mm-hmm. he's just completely like blew it whether yeah. it's turning it over not getting a shot off you know mm-hmm. you know they, they haven't even really been giving you a hope yeah. that uh-huh. you know, they can get something done so the late game execution is something this team has to work on whether they do it in practice or the off season you know that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely the biggest one of the biggest uh, red flags on this team right now yeah and even even to your point look at the the two games that they won you know, the, 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 the West Virginia game, um, Rasheem Dunn got fouled, and he went to the foul line. That's how they won that game. The a Arizo- foul, too. Yeah, and a questionable foul. Uh, Nick Rutherford in that Arizona game hit that tough runner in the lane. That wasn't a, gr- a well-drawn-up play. And then look at the losses, you know, um, the, the Seton Hall game, Marcellus Erlington shooting a three at the buzzer, uh, the, the Butler game, LJ Figueroa forcing that three at the buzzer. This game now, uh, Rasheem Dunn dribbling the ball off his foot. You can even go back to the Vermont game when, when LJ, yeah, LJ stepped out, stepped out of, of yeah, like like it's just it's a it's a cycle now. That's that's like you said, you know. There's some causes for concern. That's one for me is that Mike Anderson doesn't seem to have that go-to play, and maybe it's because he doesn't have that player, that Shimori that Shimori Pons type player to kind of you know yep. put it together. But he just doesn't seem to have the plays to to draw up in these clutch situations when he needs a basket. Yeah, and the biggest you know thing with us is. Our <clears throat> Sorry, our whole offense comes from our defense. Yeah. You know, we turn our defense into offense. So if that's not fully clicking, then we're going to struggle on the other half. And yeah. our half-court offense has just been brutal the whole year. 
And uh, it's just been really tough. And, you know, the thing is, you know, coming into the season, we kind of knew what to expect. We were on trajectory to finish ninth, and yeah. that's what we were predicted. But the most frustrating part is how easily this team to be at mm-hmm. 17 wins three games over 500 in Big East play. You yep. know, we've had just these massive opportunities and mm-hmm. they just, they can't capitalize on them. And that's the most frustrating part. Yep. I mean, even, even just look at, look at, it's the, give them three more wins in the conference and get them to five and five. And it's not crazy to say, you know, don't, don't below that five point lead with three minutes to go against Butler. Don't below that 13 point lead halftime, uh, halftime lead against Seton Hall. Don't below this 17 point lead against Georgetown. All of a sudden you're five and five and you have you have 16 wins right now and you're in you're in the tournament like they'd be in the tournament with that with that resume with wins over Seton Hall Arizona and West Virginia it just close out those three games and you'd be a tournament team right now yeah and to even go back further Arizona State they had a 15 yeah. point yeah. early in that one they jumped out of the gate and they couldn't close out that so you know I'm sure a lot of it comes from the overall, you know, just lack of talent that this yeah. team has. Uh-huh. This team doesn't have one of those guys like Shamori, like you said earlier, that one of those guys that can just go out and just get you a bucket when you need. And, you know, it's just at the end of the day, it thinks that the reality is the reality is that we're 2-7 and seven or 2-8 and eight in Big East play, and we haven't beaten a team that's not named DePaul. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, what do you want to... What do you want to see from the rest of this year? Because, I mean, now obviously we know what this team is. We know that they're not going to the tournament. We know they're probably finishing 8th, ninth, or 10th in the conference. Like, what do you want to see out of the final eight games now of conference play that would instill hope for you for next year? Um, well, I, like I said, I know that the offensive struggles are just going to happen just by the nature of yeah. what we don't have. Yeah. But what I want to see is if this team ends up with a lead, you know, especially in the second half by a reason by a very um, big margin, whether it's double digits or nine points or whatever. Uh-huh. If they have a lead, I want to see them close out on it. I want to see them put their stop on the other, other team's neck and, you know, just close out some wins because there's opportunities for this team to get wins. They, they will compete with anyone. They're yeah. not going to get blown out. Mm-hmm. But just if, uh, what I want to see from this team is if you have a chance to win the game, actually win it. <laughs> Don't blow it. <laughs> no, that's that's true. That's that's what it comes down to, though. Is just like close the game out, like close close one game out in Big East play. Because I mean, you give them the DePaul wins, they they close those out nicely. But it's DePaul, and we know what DePaul is. Like close a game out against a team that's that's going to be in the tournament, or close a game out against a team that's better than you. And we just haven't seen it. I mean, even the Arizona and West Virginia games, they didn't close those games out. They just kind of held on for dear life. So close one out, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, but um. I mean, one thing I would like to see as well, and I want to get your take on this before before I let you go. I want to see Greg Williams playing a little bit more now down the stretch. I mean, that they they brought uh, Heron off the bench and they started Williams in, in this last game as well. I thought that was a good decision, and I respect Heron for coming off of the bench as well and for taking that in stride. But I want to see Greg Williams playing a lot more now. I think he's he's a better defender than he gets credit for. Or he, I think he gets credit for being a good defender, actually. And he can do some things on the offensive end. I want to see Greg Williams playing a lot more. What do you think about that? I 100% agree. You know, if you don't want to start him, that's fine. But, you know, you definitely got to give him a lot more minutes than he's been getting. Uh-huh. Same thing with uh, Josh Roberts. Yeah. And uh, uh-huh. one of the things that stuck out to me about Greg Williams is late in that game against Georgetown when they started giving us a taste of our own medicine and they started pressing us mm-hmm. and Rasheen Dunn was still at 
handling the point guard position. You know, he wasn't really able to to break that press. He had a couple of really, really bad, crucial turnovers. And then for a, a little bit, we saw a glimpse of Greg Williams running the point, and he was able to handle it with ease. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was able to take control. So mm-hmm. I think Greg Williams plays beyond his years. You know, he has a, a very good on-court mentality, a very high basketball IQ yeah. that, you know, right now some of the other players aren't showing, and hence why we're collapsing late in these games. But um, that's definitely something I want to see more out of Greg Williams, and we need more of Josh Roberts. It's just a fact at this point. <laughs> yeah. You can argue that that's the main reason we lost is why our big man isn't playing. No, absolutely. And, and, and about Williams, you know, he's not a true point guard, obviously. Obviously, Nick Rutherford is, but but he's not going to be here next year. Even Rasheem Dunn is not a true point guard. That's why I think Posh Alexander is going to be so big for this team. Is just you know not even not even like be, even if he doesn't live up to the expectation, just giving them a true point guard and a true playmaker to maybe even get someone like LJ Figueroa if he sticks around, get him the ball and get guys the ball in, in spots where they can you know have easier shots as as and create things for guys. I feel like that's going to be so much bigger for this team going forward with Posh. You know. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we'll have more, we'll have definitely more pieces to work with, you know? I mean, a lot of people like to criticize these Juco kids because you don't never know what you're going to get with them. But yeah. we have two of the top 15 ones in the country, and they're yeah. putting up staggering numbers, putting up numbers that are going to massively help us and, you know, um, massively help us in spots we need. You know, we have two high three point yeah. percentage shooters coming in. That's our biggest lack. You know, they bring a little size. So, and then we have Dylan Wusu, too. So, uh-huh. you know, he has. I'm sure he'll have an encore chemistry with Posh Alexander. So definitely I can uh, see massive improvements next year. You know, we definitely got some reinforcements coming in, and uh, I'm going to have my trust in the coaching staff that they'll be able to get the best out of them. But, uh, yeah. No. Hey, spoken like a true St. John's fan, there's always next year, right? Yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Well, thank you, man, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, no problem, I'm, 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 I'm happy that we could link up here. Hopefully we'll link up maybe one more time before the season ends. But thank you, man. No problem. Thanks for having me on. All right. Have a good night, man. You too. All right. Bye. All right. Big thank you once again to our guy Jay DeMeo there, friend of the program. Coming on for the second time this season, one of our one of our new uh, members, one of our new contributors to the podcast this season, and he's done a really good job now two times. So hopefully we'll have him on again uh, before the season ends, before uh, before middle of March or so, or we can have him on in the off season maybe to talk to talk shop as well. But good job from him as always. The first ever person to uh, request coming on to the show, I think, which was kind of cool uh, to to see that he was he was having a rough day on Tuesday with the with the Mets news of of uh, their sale to Steve Cohen potentially going through or falling through so hopefully that kind of distracted him from that uh, for a couple of minutes there coming on with us but thank you again to Jay for doing that and um, going forward now for this podcast we will have a show out next week Um, I think the Red Storm play on Wednesday night we might do one on Thursday of next week so a little bit of a break from the show with this being Tuesday night if you're listening to it Uh, we won't have a show until the next weekday game for St. John's which is Thursday I will try to do a periscope at some point on either Saturday night or on Sunday morning. I'm actually working during the game. I'll be watching, obviously, but I'll be working uh, during that game. So during the game against Creighton, so I won't be able to do anything immediate, but either that night, later that night, or Sunday morning. I'll probably do a Periscope. I enjoy doing those. They're always fun, so uh, be on the lookout for that as well. Hopefully, like I said, hopefully St. John's can just compete now. 
in these games and it starts with Creighton can they compete in this game you know how are they going to come out after this long layoff after this terrible terrible loss are they going to be able to compete you don't expect them to be Creighton on the road. You don't expect them to be Butler on the road. You don't expect them to be Villanova on the road. You don't expect them to beat Seton Hall on the road. But can they compete in those games? And can they maybe take care of business at home against Xavier and against Providence and against Marquette and against Creighton at home? At home, can they take care of business? And on the road, can they just compete? And can they get to five wins is the question. Five wins in the conference. Can they do it? Can they get to 17 wins? Can they get to five wins in the conference and be 17 and 15 heading into the Big East tournament where they'll probably be the eighth seed or the ninth seed and we'll probably play Georgetown again. So we'll see. But that wraps up our show for today. Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back next week with another uh, post-game recap. And as always, let's go Johnny's.